following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Hey, everybody. Could you do the show a favor and fill out a survey at podcastone.com? You'll see the survey banner on the homepage. It'll take you less than five minutes, and it really helps us out. That's podcastone.com, and thank you so much. Now, on with the show. I'm Mike Ozanian. Welcome to another Forbes Sports Money podcast where we talk about the business of sports. My guest today is Doug Perlman. Doug's the CEO of Sports Media Advisors. He's way up there in New Canaan, Connecticut. This is a guy who really knows a lot about the sports media business, particularly when it gets to all the different types of new technologies. Doug, thanks for taking the time to come on the show, my friend. Happy to do it, Mike. Pleasure to be here. We had that big announcement not that long ago, Disney increasing its stake in Major League Baseball advanced media's tech business up to 75%. You know, the headline number, $3.75 billion valuation for BAM Tech. When, I guess it was a year ago, Doug, that Disney first bought a piece, about a third, for a, uh, gave it a billion-dollar valuation. Uh, or for a billion, which gave it a $3 billion valuation. So there's about a 25% increase in just the valuation of BAM Tech over a year. Um, you know, this is obviously something that's very big in the sports media landscape. What's your take on this deal? So I think there, there are a lot of implications to the deal. And uh, for folks who may not be as familiar with the structure over at baseball, uh, years ago, they started MLBAM, which stands for uh, Major League Baseball Advanced Media, and that was, for a long time, their digital operation uh, and took care of everything digital as it related to baseball. And for years now, they've been doing a lot of uh, exciting, innovative things. Uh, and then a number of years back, they started to serve third parties. So they started to leverage their infrastructure and streaming capabilities and other technical know-how uh, to help companies like HBO and the PGA Tour and World Wrestling, and in a very broad way, the NHL, uh, exploit uh, their digital businesses. So they call the business that serves third parties BAM Tech, and that's the entity that Disney just took a stake in. And BAM Tech is now going to be driving a lot of what Disney's doing on the digital front, uh, including, importantly for the sports industry, uh, for ESPN. As I understand it, Disney announced that it would be launching a standalone OTT. OTT, of course, means over-the-top apps for ESPN and for the Disney Channel. Uh, sticking mostly with ESPN for our sports listeners here, uh, what exactly is a standalone OTT app? So they're going to be launching uh, an over-the-top network, as you say. And over-the-top really means... Uh, this sort of term comes from the notion that the delivery of this video programming sort of bypasses uh, the cable and satellite operators. And, and when they talk about it being standalone, I think a real important thing for people to understand is this, this is not like the Watch ESPN app or other TV Everywhere apps where someone who gets a cable channel and pays their cable or satellite provider to see that channel can also watch it online when they authenticate, which means when they go on and, and, and can demonstrate that they're paying a cable bill already to get that channel. Just the standalone over-the-top network that ASPN is going to launch using the BAM technology is going to exist 
wholly apart from the cable bundle, wholly apart from the cable and satellite television world. So even if you have no cable or satellite subscription, you'll be able to go online and watch the programming that's on this new over-the-top network. And by the way, I think it's important for people to understand, it's going to be uh, its own unique programming. It's not going to be a replication of what's on the ESPN channels. So, like, this is like a whole new channel. This You get this. Uh, I'm sitting there right now, and I get ESPN as part of my cable package. But if these offerings are things I want to see, this is something else I'm going to subscribe to, right? I mean, this is going to cost me additional money because I'm going to want, I'm going to, want to pay for it, presumably, because the content it has is going to be unique. Uh, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's going to be a standalone offering. Uh, they haven't announced the details about how the subscription will work, etc. Part of the notion is, uh, to the extent you have cord cutters or cord devers out there, folks who have either cut the cord from cable and satellite and moved on or, or never even had it, as is the case with a number of young people, you'll still be able to subscribe to this channel through your Internet provider. Uh, Via uh, the internet, you subscribe to it directly with ESPN, and it'll have its own programming. So I think uh, from the start, they're going to have some out-of-market baseball games, which isn't surprising given the, given the role of MLBAM. They'll have NHL games, MLB games, MLS games, Major League Soccer, and then uh, they haven't announced anything else about the schedule, but I think a lot of people expect them, among other things, to focus on uh, up-and-coming sports like uh, Rugby, lacrosse, uh, cricket gets a lot of attention in that realm. So those are the kinds of things that I think you'll be uh, you can expect on the over the top network. Doug, why do you think Disney uh, wanted to do this deal? The world of cable and satellite and that traditional bundle of channels that people would pay for that whole world has been evolving, and the number of people subscribing to that bundle has declined. So ESPN has gone from. 100 million or so homes to 87 or 88 million homes. Uh, And a lot of people are watching that very closely. Wall Street certainly follows it very closely, and it has significant implications for Disney. So I think the TV bundle, as we know it today, is is, going to be around uh, for quite a while. Uh, But there's no question that the model uh, is is evolving and changing. And I think to a large degree, this is a, a bet by Disney and a way to sort of hedge things a bit. So they'll continue to obviously have their ESPN networks, which will operate in a traditional manner. And by the way, continue to be extraordinarily successful, just not as successful or profitable as they had been. Uh, While they uh, begin to explore the realm of over-the-top, learn more about the business, gather data, establish more of a direct connection to to their viewers, etc., so it's really them taking a step towards what a lot of people see to be the future of media distribution. Doug, you know, uh, Bob Igor, the chairman of Disney, I mean, it seems at least most of the coverage I read uh, during these conference calls and, you know, when deals like this are announced, I mean, he's, he's getting ripped. He's taking a lot of heat. Why, why do you think that is? Well, uh, uh, do you mean specifically about this deal? Or yeah, about you know, they, they're, they're hammering them on ESPN. You know, I guess what it seems to me is uh, when it comes to the distribution side, some people criticize them for not moving fast enough towards streaming, and some people say he's moving, you know, sort of in this gray area where he's offering the both worlds, the broadcast and 
uh, and streaming. And some people say he's moving too fast and he's overpaid for all the, you know, like he has the NFL Sunday, I guess Monday night football. He's got uh, Major League Baseball, all kinds of uh, top tier live sports programming. Yet he's losing subscribers, you know, on television. And they're saying he way overpaid. And as you pointed out, he's not uh, going to be able to use that content on this new standalone OTT thing. So they feel he's been caught in this, you know, netherland where, where he's he's sort of in the middle of nowhere. You know, he's, he's not on the edge in either side. Um, do you think that's justified? I mean, it, it kind of seems like you think he's moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think, you know, I do think he's moving in the right direction. And I think uh, he and... Uh, you know, management at ESPN are walking uh, a very fine line, and it's really a delicate balancing act. Uh, the highest profile marquee content will continue to be on the ESPN TV networks. But at the same time, I think they're, you know, recognizing where the world is headed and where fans and viewers' uh, habits are going. And so they're beginning to learn more and more about that over the top world and preparing themselves for. Uh, the future where there may be more and more content delivered directly to the consumer without uh, utilizing or going through and paying a a cable and satellite operator. So I think, uh, look, nobody's perfect, and obviously hindsight is 20-20, but I think that in in large part they're they're doing a good job trying to uh, continue to manage uh, an incredibly successful business built on the legacy approach while trying to you know, keep an eye towards the future. And I, I do think part of uh, some of the criticism that you see out there, too, is uh, you know, ESPN has been the big dog for a long time, right? They've been incredibly successful, incredibly profitable. They've uh, sort of gobbled up whatever rights they wanted to secure. Uh, and to a large part, they still uh, sort of set the tone within the sports media landscape, et cetera. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of times when people and entities have had that kind of success, uh, folks love to jump on board when there's a, a crack in the armor, et cetera. So, again, n- nobody's perfect, and, and uh, y- y- you know, I'm not saying that there, there uh, weren't other moves that could have been made, but I think in large part uh, they have done and continue to do a real nice job. Doug, do you see this deal in particular as it affects Disney and ESPN having any kind of an impact on affiliate fees, you know, given the larger big picture of what's happening in the distribution. I think Disney now gets somewhere around $7 per subscriber per month uh, for each of the affiliates that show uh, ESPN. Yeah, I don't I don't think that will be impacted in the short term. I think, uh, and, and that's part of why you won't see the marquee programming going to this new over-the-top network. I think they're going to keep the marquee programming uh, for the foreseeable future on their uh, set of cable networks. And that's why, uh, you know, they'll, they'll uh, be able to continue to secure those kinds of per subscriber numbers. And breaking away to say this show is brought to you by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. However you move your business forward with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum Card, backed by the service and security of American Express. And you mentioned uh, earlier on, you know, there were other channels that Disney had. And if I understand this agreement and Disney's plan correctly, 
They're also going to be taking certain movies and other content that uh, was being shown through, let's say, Netflix, and they're going to be putting that on their own standalone apps. Uh, Am I understanding that correctly? And if so, what is that telling you about Netflix and others like it in the industry in terms of how difficult it is going to be for them to get top-tier programming uh, in the near future. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. As, as part of the announcement of this uh, increased investment in BAM Tech, Disney said that they were going to be launching a, a Disney-branded over-the-top network in 2019 as well. And uh, you know, as part of that launch, they're going to be taking back all their con- content from Netflix, and it, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, ver- another, it's a variation on the same theme, right? Which is, they are going to be increasingly focused on delivering their content directly to consumers. Uh, and by the way, there's a lot of advantages to that for media companies, right? Uh, you know, data is increasingly important, and to the extent that you control the content and the technology, as they will in this instance, and deliver it directly to the, the consumer. You're going to be able to learn a lot more about that consumer and their tastes, et cetera, and, uh, and that can drive all kinds of economic opportunities. So uh, I think it's, it's, it's another example of this movement towards uh, sort of the disintermediation of content and the ability of these media companies to deliver that content directly to their viewers and consumers. Uh, and you're seeing it, um, you know, across lots of different media companies. There was actually an announcement uh, just today from Turner uh, that they're going to be launching an over-the-top sports network, uh, much in the same vein as what we've been talking about with Disney uh, and the ESPN network, and they're going to they're going to be offering uh, their Champions League and UEFA soccer content as part of a new over-the-top offering, uh, which again will be go directly to consumers. Uh, you won't need a cable or satellite subscription to view that content. You won't need to authenticate, etc. Uh, so again, it's very much in the same vein as what we've been talking about with ESPN. They'll, apparently, they're going to still keep about 20% of, of that soccer content on their TV channels uh, using the same logic that ESPN has, which is they need to maintain some of the content and probably some of the premium content on those channels to continue to drive their subscriber fees. Uh, but again, you can really see it across all the media companies. NBC has done it with their NBC Gold product. Fox has done it with their Fox Soccer Match Pass product. Uh, CBS recently announced that they were going to do an over-the-top sports offering as well, although there's, uh, I think, less detail available about that now. So uh, all the major media companies are starting to think in a similar way. And again, and I know I've said this a few times, but trying to strike that balance between uh, supporting an ecosystem that has been very good to them, and that is the the cable and satellite bundle, while recognizing the realities of the current media landscape and ensuring that they're poised to capitalize uh, on the changes. It seems to me that these newer deals, like the soccer one you mentioned, and of course Disney, they're going towards on the new standalone app. The content on that is either exclusive or largely exclusive, so that with the soccer thing you mentioned, you know, uh, uh, Turner will have certain programming on the app that's not on TV, but you know you'll be able to see some on both. This differs a lot from what we've seen in the recent past, which is, you know, when you uh, let's say subscribe to a sports channel via your cable box, I that automatically gives me a pass to be able to stream it. 
so it seems like there are these two wars being waged. Um, am I reading this correctly? And, and if so, can they coexist? Or, or is there going to be a, a, a sea change where five years from now or so, as, as rights agreements expire and new ones come online, you know, whether it be for a major sports league or, or a niche sport like lacrosse, they're all going to be standalone. And, and uh, that's going to be the primary way to consume this content. What ESPN is doing, what Turner's doing, et cetera, is, is not uh, what people refer to as a TV everywhere product. So I think what a lot of people are used to from the major media companies and these brands is exactly what you describe, which is, you know, I pay my cable or satellite operator for the ability to watch that channel at home. And then once, because I pay them, I'm also able to watch it on my phone or computer, et cetera. What we're talking about with ESPN and Turner is very different. Uh, That is content that's available via these over-the-top networks and only via these over-the-top networks. So someone who doesn't even have a TV in their house uh, is able to watch that on their computer or phone without any regard whatsoever for the cable or satellite subscriptions. They're standalone, over-the-top offerings. Uh, no cable or satellite subscription needed, which obviously is uh, a sort of a threat and scary to that cable and satellite ecosystem because the more and more content that gets chipped away from the television bundle, the less reason people will have to subscribe to TV. Now, uh, sort of in, also within your question is this notion of, you know, how far will this go and when, right? You, you know, you, you take into its extreme uh, more and more content would shift to these over-the-top offerings. Uh, the cable bundle and the traditional cable and satellite model sort of falls away, and then people are subscribing to whatever content they want uh, online. And it's, it's certainly unclear whether uh, it'll ever get to that point. Uh, people need to be careful in some instances what, what they wish for. I think at first blush, a lot of people think it's sort of a, what they call an a la carte world is very appealing where you pay for what you want. And that may be the case, but I think that there are a lot of consumers who in an a la carte world would actually end up paying more for their content because instead of just paying uh, you know, your cable operator for ESPN once as part of your overall cable bill, you might have to pay for college football here and NFL there and MLB there and NBA there. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, and all down the line, and you may uh, you may end up worse off. And also, if you as, if this world becomes more and more splintered, uh, you lose the ability of these uh, networks to serve as platforms for discovery. Well, it sounds like one thing that you're saying is there's going to be more competition for sports programming, whether it be the typical providers that are involved in the TV is everywhere landscape or more in the sort of new form, if you will, like this OTT standalone app that's going to be available from ESPN. And that greater competition to me, I mean, you're the expert here, you're, you're advising clients here, it means that sports programming rights are going to become more valuable. I think that's right. I think that's right. And we, we've, uh, we've said that in, in, in sort of a number of forums. It's interesting. A lot of people uh, focus on the declining subscriber numbers for traditional cable networks and say, well, because of that, 
these networks are going to have less revenue uh, on, from their subscribers and less advertising revenue, and therefore rights fees are inevitably going to go down. And, and, and we think that's uh, sort of not the right way to, to view where the industry is headed. I think uh, at least for premium uh, sports content, rights fees uh, are likely to continue to grow uh, sort of for two reasons. One is exactly what you said. Multiple bidders is good for a, are good for a seller, right? So you'll have the traditional outlets, uh, some of these new over-the-top offerings, as well as the digital bidders I alluded to earlier. You, you know, you've seen what what Amazon and Twitter have done with the NFL, and Facebook recently made an announcement about uh, a heavier foray into video and securing third-party content, etc. So it's likely that they will be significant bidders. Uh, they have been, and they'll only get more significant down the road. So multiple bidders are good for sellers, and so I think that uh, bodes well for sports properties that have meaningful followings. And in addition to that, another um, sort of trend or, or story in the media industry is the emergence of what people call skinny bundles. So uh, packages of cable networks that are smaller than what people have been traditionally buying from their cable or satellite operator. So if uh, they might offer you know, 15 or 16 or 17 channels. So in a world of skinny bundles, all of the traditional networks are going to have to fight for carriage. They're going to have to ensure that they're included within all these new offerings. And people don't have allegiance to media companies. They have allegiance to their sports. So uh, when any of, the, any of these networks, CBS or NBC or Fox or ESPN or Turner, go to the Comcast and DirecTVs of the world and say, you know, we deserve to make the cut, we deserve to be one of the 15 channels you have, they're going to need that sports programming in order to prove that they're must-have content. So I think that also bodes well for sports properties. So, again, it's a long, a long answer to your, to your question, but I think um, – I think that that's why we remain bullish on the future of sports content, and and uh, and there, uh, you know, and that's further supported by the notion that it's sort of the last programming people watch live. It's the programming people are most passionate about, etc. So uh, we think the you know the long term prospects are strong. And taking a break to say there's this place in Bali where you can play 18 holes next to an active volcano. There's this fountain in Miami that goes off with every home run. There's this subway line in New York that'll take you straight to both arenas. There's an exciting and thrilling world waiting, and no other card lets you experience it like the business platinum card from American Express, backed by the service and security of American Express. Here at Podcast One, we love hearing from you. We read every tweet and comment you send our way. So don't miss your chance to take our summer listener survey. Just go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. Or go to podcastone.com slash mysurvey. It only takes a few minutes, and it gives you the opportunity to make a direct impact on your favorite shows. Tell us how you really feel so we can get to know you better. We value your thoughts and participation. So check out the survey at podcastone.com slash mysurvey. Or click on the survey banner on podcast. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. I think with these new forms of distribution, uh, when you talk about data, you know, like for instance, Disney now, with this deal on the standalone app, they'll be able to get access 
right, to, to at least six important pieces of data if I'm watching, right? They'll get my name. They'd get my credit card number. They'd get my email address, my IP address, my street address, and my phone number. You know, then they can combine that data with data from third-party providers like, say, I don't know, Experian. Uh, in the, and they could target their audience so they know what Mike Ozanian really wants. So, so if I'm watching you know, the Yankees, they can email me an offer for a Yankee cap from the ESPN store. Uh, all, it's getting much more integrated, but it also seems to me the ability to leverage that information also will be another way to monetize uh, what they're paying for that content. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. I think uh, part and parcel with this evolution of the media landscape are new and different business models and new ways to capitalize on the content, capitalize on the audience, and, and generate revenues. So I think what you describe is exactly right. They're going to know about you. They're going to know your viewing habits. They're going to know what interests you, uh, where your passions lie, etc. cetera. Uh, and they'll be able to monetize that in all sorts of different ways. So I think that is very much uh, a big part of the future of media. Uh, and I think, you know, as consumers think about that, there's probably good and bad. I think if, if your media company knows about you, um, they may be able to offer you products and services and content that's of interest. Uh, you know, whichever, you know, you, the uh, sort of Amazons or Apple TVs of the world where they say, well, you liked X and so we recommend Y. Sometimes, that, sometimes that's really helpful. Uh, but on, at, on, at other times, it can be a little scary when you realize how much some of the folks out there uh, and companies know about you. So uh, I think that's going to be a big part of the future. And I think as, as these media companies look to bid on rights, uh, that's definitely going to be part of the model they build is, is when they, how can they use those rights to grow their, uh, their base of data, et cetera. What's your opinion, Doug, on these intermediaries like, say, Netflix, for example? And I don't know, maybe I would throw Facebook uh, or Twitter in there. Uh, we saw, as you mentioned earlier, what Amazon Prime paid for the NFL's Thursday night streaming rights. Are they going to be sort of left out of this eventually because it's all going to be direct by the content owner, like in an ESPN case? Uh, I was trying to sort of read the tea leaves a little bit, and I'm, and I'm looking. You know, I thought for a while maybe the cable operators, they'd see their stock prices would get whacked from fear of, of uh, losing programming. But they've, they've done well. They've done reasonably well. Disney's done great. Netflix, not so good. Yeah, uh, I think it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to watch. I think, and again, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of questions and themes sort of uh, woven in woven into your question there. I think uh, you know when you look at the cable companies, uh, you know part of what you have to consider is they're often you know broadband is a big part of their business. So uh, you know if all of this great programming is moving over to uh, over the top offerings and broadband subscriptions become even more valuable, even more critical, even more indispensable. That's a good thing for cable companies. So, uh, you know, they do have uh, sort of chips on both colors, I guess, in that regard. So I think that that uh, is sort of the good news for the cable companies as, as, you, as you look at this. Um, I think that there's no question in my mind 
that the, the again the Amazons and Twitters and Facebooks of the world are going to be significant buyers of media rights. Um, and, and you know you you question whether you know whether they may be out of luck because the you know sports go directly to the consumers instead of through entities like that. A lot of these questions are the same questions that media companies and sports properties have uh, wrestled with uh, with prior media. You know, in some ways, it's sort of tracking the movement from broadcast TV to cable. So uh, it's also new, but again, some of this all rings familiar. You know, it's funny you were mentioning how fans aren't loyal to networks, they're loyal to teams. <clears throat> how true that is, you know, I mean, my favorite team, you know, if I'm watching the New York Giants during football season, if they go from, you know, channel to from Fox to channel whatever, I'm still going to watch them. But, you know, I was thinking it's even kind of more so with players, right? And you, and you think about what's been in the news the last few months, you know, just the other day, you know, there's reports, you know, LeBron James is leaving Cleveland. And before that, it was Kyrie Irving, right? He, he was gone. And, you know, then there was the big news before last season about Kevin Durant going from Oklahoma City, going to Golden State, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm going, gee, you know, the, the loyalty to the players is at times, you know, for these superstars, the big names, is even stronger than it is for the teams. And if I'm one of these companies and I'm, I'm in the media industry and I'm trying to figure out all my strategy and, and how much I'm willing to pay and where I want the distribution and all those uh, tough choices that you were mentioning, does can all that just go, you know, completely awry if, if one or two players, you know, change teams? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there, that there's always those sort of risks when you're in the sports content business, right? I think, um, and, and I've always sort of marveled at that, that if you're a, uh, you know, for example, if you're a, a, a sports TV network and you go out and pay for the NBA rights and the finals end up being, you know, two unpopular teams in a four-game sweep, you're an idiot. Um, and if, uh, but if it ends up being an incredible seven-game series with superstars and uh, popular teams, etc., you look you look like a genius. It's it's and there's a, sort of a million variations of that theme within the sports industry and how a, you know what player a team gets traded to or how healthy his knee is or how a ball bounces can really impact. Uh, the economic fortunes of all sorts of people. So, you know, I think uh, I think that's sort of inherent to the business. It's a it's a little bit of a uh, uh, I hate to use the word gamble in this context, but it's a you know it's a bit of a gamble when you're in this space uh, because how you know what happens on the field of play and and where the players end up and what markets are successful and are the games competitive or the races competitive. Uh, all has a huge impact on the economics. Said can uh, can change everything. Doug, what are the most prominent questions your clients are coming to you for right now? What what's foremost on their mind? Um, I, I, I'd say there's sort of there's sort of a handful of things that seem to come up uh, when we're counseling the you know the leagues and teams and federations and, and tournaments and those sorts of folks. Uh, clearly, everything that we've been talking about. Today is on the forefront of people's mind. Where's where's the world of media headed? What does that mean uh, for the kinds of revenues and the type of exposure that sports properties uh, hope for? So that's clearly top of mind 
wherever we go. The 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 other uh, is sort of a is a related but really a different question, which is, you know, how can I best leverage social media to uh, interact with my fans and acquire new fans? So, um, you know, as we all know, and people, you know, say frequently, uh, younger people are consuming sports content completely differently than folks did in the past. And, you know, I look at at my three uh, teenage boys, and they're, you know, they're on Snapchat constantly, and that's, they get a lot of their sports news there. So, you know, what does that mean for the industry? And how can you best capitalize on that? And what's the best content to offer there versus on your, you know, owned and operated platforms? And obviously Facebook is incredibly powerful and <clears throat> Twitter, et cetera. So a lot, people, uh, we spend a lot of time talking about the best ways to capitalize on, on the different social media platforms, both from an economic perspective, but also just as importantly, if not more, from a uh, from the perspective of trying to serve your fans and, and grow your fan base, uh, and then everybody's always very focused on the emergence of new technologies. So, uh, virtual reality, for example, we've done a fair amount of work in that space, and I think there's a lot of people who are really excited about what that's going to mean for the sports industry. So, everybody wants to ensure that they're staying on top of the latest trends and sort of cutting edge technologies. So. Uh, those are the, the type of things that, that we're talking about regularly in our practice. Give me your top two or three trends that we'll see within the next three or four years that are really going to shake up the industry. I know you mentioned virtual reality. You like that. You think that's going to be a big plus. Uh, besides virtual reality, what else do you think is going to be really hot that may be uh, off of people's radar right now or, or not where it should be? Um, I, I, I think it relates to some of the, you know, the things that I, that I just sort of ticked off. I think you're going to definitely see the emergence of more over-the-top networks. And, and uh, now that most of the big media companies are kind of in that realm, not only more, but you'll see the migration of more and more and better and more compelling content to these platforms for all the reasons we've been talking about uh, today. I think uh, you'll definitely see the, the quote-unquote digital uh, companies bidding for more and more material rights. So that, again, the you know Facebook, I think their I don't their recent announcement about their foray deeper into video and third-party video. I think uh, people haven't really read that the way that they should. Uh, in other words, I and maybe I'm maybe I'm, I'm hoping this is the case, but as I read that. Uh, it seemed to bode real well for sports properties because it seemed clear that if they're trying to secure first-tier video programming, that sort of puts them on a path to securing more sports content. So I think you'll see more there. And then, again, Twitter and Amazon will continue to do the kind of things that they're doing. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, I'm very bullish on virtual reality. I think we're going to see a lot of very cool uh, programming distributed uh, via virtual reality. Uh, and then another another uh, trend that I see out there that's not uh, media related per se is uh, is the movement towards uh, more comfort with gambling in the sports realm. I think uh, you know there's been a fair amount of discussion about that, and I think that there's going to be you know uh, a, a more significant embrace by the sports industry uh, and and uh, relevant. Uh, legislation, etc., that will see sort of gaming and gambling be a bigger part of the sports landscape. Yeah, I was I was talking to former NBA commissioner David Stern not too long ago, and uh, he 
had very similar thoughts on, on what was going to eventually happen with gambling. Doug, I know you're an incredibly busy guy. Uh, I can't thank you enough for taking some time to come on the Sports Money Podcast and uh, really look forward to having you on again in the near future. Thank you so much, my friend. My pleasure, Mike. I always enjoy visiting with you, and I hope we get a chance to do it again soon. Thanks, pal. All righty. That's it for this episode of Forbes Sports Money. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a comment or question, please email us at sportsmoney at podcastone.com. That's O-N-E dot com. Want to know why Attack Each Day was on top of the iTunes charts in its first week? What the hell's going on around here? I ripped my headphones off, spun around, and flinged them. I turn around, and my dad is like three inches from my face. And he says, go get them. Gentlemen, we're going to attack this day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Brought to you by Podcast One Sports. Hear Jim Harbaugh, Jack Harbaugh, and JT Rogan share their stories every Tuesday on Attack Each Day, the Harbaugh's podcast on the Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts, and podcast1.com at farmers insurance we know a roof can withstand a lot one exception being an airborne car seen it covered it click for more we are farmers bum, 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 bum. underwritten by farmers truck fire insurance exchanges and affiliates products not available in every state at the border i'm ed donahue with an ap news minute at the roundtable discussion today in san antonio texas president trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border many people are dying And the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.